Hello. Hi again. It's been a bit. Welcome to uh, What Do You Like? We have a little bit of a change up to the how the show is going to be going moving forward. We're going to be having a different host, my husband, Hunter. Say hi. Hello. Hi. You might remember me from the running episode and as the editor. Yes. Heavy scare quotes around the editor because I have control over everything. Yes, you do. And I appreciate the time you take. We won't be discussing at such at length each topic and hopefully we can have an occasional guest, but it will not be every episode. It will instead be usually between the two of us and we're going to be talking about not only what we like, but potentially what is popular. You might notice a theme because we're the ones choosing the topics and in that theme is we're nerds. Maybe just a little bit. Just a smidge. I mean, we both went to an engineering school, so, you know, take from that what you will. Yeah. If you have a top, if you're listening and you have a topic that you want to want us to dive into and t- discuss, please email us uh, at wdylpodcast at gmail.com and we would be happy to look into it. Or if you want to talk to us about it, you know, in person, we would also like to have you on the show. That would also be fun. Uh, But for now, uh, we're going to continue with this current episode, which is Magic the Gathering. So, I would call myself an aficionado of Magic the Gathering. I am a big fan of it, and for the people who know a lot about Magic, bear with me, because not everyone does, and I'm not always the best about explaining what everything is. So, to start... What is Magic the Gathering? It is a collectible card game. The next question that comes to everyone's lips is, what's a collectible card game? The shortest version I can think of to describe this is you buy all of your cards and all of your game pieces, and part one of playing the game is building a deck. Then you build that deck and play it against other people. Things that uh, magic has appeared in or has uh, influence is if you like The Witcher 3, for example, they have a version of that game that you can play. Uh, It's very similar to how Magic the Gathering is played in terms of summoning monsters. It's also has has been around in some form for a long time. This was a card game that my mom and stepfather would play with friends when I was a kid. I distinctly remember that. It kind of fell out of popularity for a little while, but it's come back with a vengeance. Or the company that owns it, Wizards of the Coast, has not only video games, but you can also play online, and as well as it being in the form of a tabletop. Yeah, I'll I'll jump in and There's not only one way to play online, there's two different and mutually exclusive ways to play online. To expound on that a little bit more, there's Magic the Gathering Online, which is as close to an accurate representation of the tabletop game as programmers can make. We'll get into that more later. And then there's Magic Arena, which is a streamlined version of Magic. They've made a couple adjustments to make it a little bit more even. As Maria mentioned, the game in Witcher 3, Gwent, does take fairly heavily from Magic, to the best of my knowledge. But so does Yu-Gi-Oh! Pokemon the Collectible Card Game. 
uh, Netrunner, kind of. They're they're a little bit different, but they're kind of in that same ballpark. Magic first came out in 1993, so it's older than both of the hosts of this podcast. It's not. We were born in 92. We'll cut that. Hunter knows how to do math. He's an engineer. (laughs) I'm going to leave that in. Yes, you are. (laughs) You are leaving that in. Magic's 30th anniversary is coming up soon, and it has been around for a long, long time. It casts a large, large shadow. I found it interesting when we... I don't think it was, it was probably a year into us dating in college when you were getting into magic and you had you had made a couple decks and when we were visiting you would play magic with my mom and my stepfather. It was interesting to see how much the game had changed because they were using their original decks. And I think until my mom pulled out the fireballs, you thoroughly mopped the floor with them. Yeah, so to delve a little bit more into that, Magic has been around for almost 30 years at this point, and there's definitely been a couple big shifts in how the game works and how the game is played, but I think to dive into the details a little bit more, let me go through how you actually play Magic, because I've realized that we haven't talked about that yet. It's, it is actually a very easy concept to understand which is why so many other card games take influence from it however it is what its next layer is is the amount of strategy can be put into this simple concept and that's what makes people i feel keep coming back it is easy to learn and i'm putting heavy air quotes around easy and impossible to master quick summary of how you play magic Cards are roughly split into two different kinds. There are lands and spells. Lands let you cast spells. Spells come in a couple different flavors, either one-time effects, and that's instants and sorceries, and permanence. I'm putting air quotes around permanence. Uh, Permanence are enchantments, artifacts, and creatures. Creatures are the things that let you attack your opponent, Artifacts and enchantments do other things. They'll let you either break rules of the game or change how the game is played. Uh, That's a, like, 30,000-foot view, and we can go on for years and hours and hours talking through how magic fits together and how all these different bits and bobs fit together. And if you like that, uh, come talk to me, because I will talk your ear off on it. But to not overwhelm people with too much vocabulary... Cards get split into two parts, one group that lets you cast your spells, and then the spells which actually let you win the game. And if you want to continue uh, looking into this, if you have an interest in it, whether it's you've played Gwent in the past or you were looking for a game to uh, you know, get into again, there are countless ways that you can do this. Or, and there are also podcasts that talk about magic and talk about even like the silliest aspect, sillier aspects of it, such as what should we name these cards versus what they are actually called. One of the things that I think hooks people in on top of that is, despite the fact that it is a card game, there is so much lore behind it. You can delve into this lore and learn about all the stories behind each of the cards, um, behind the monsters, which is another part that, you know, it's almost like a rabbit hole that you just, that for such a simple idea, 
can keep you entertained for a very long time and keep make you and if you want to be a part of this community it's very simple yeah so to talk more about story that is a big part of why i think magic works every card has a small piece of art will have text on it to tell you what it does and tells a little bit of a story it's an interesting way to interact with narrative fiction and to interact with a story because if you're opening cards in the way that wizards is expecting you to do it or you're opening a pack of roughly 15 cards at a given time you're getting these little glimpses into different worlds and to back up half a step because i realized that different worlds is complicated the way magic is released is every three to four months Wizards of the Coast will put out a new set of cards. This is about 250 to 300 cards. Each set of cards is set on a plane. Each plane is effectively its own world. Magic is set in a multiverse, and then the players are considered planeswalkers. Planeswalkers can go di between different planes. Again, there is so much depth. There's 25 to 30 years of storytelling to delve into. Magic's been set on something like 30 to 40 different planes. Uh, my personal favorite is probably Ravnica. Quick description of Ravnica is it's a city that is the size of a plane. Like the concept of a plane, not like the flying plane. Anyway, Ravnica is split into, roughly split into 10 different guilds. Each guild corresponds with two different colors of mana. One of the other things is you can notice other influences that they put into some of these planes, such as uh, there's definitely Lovecraftian mythos that's a part of some. I'm on the website right now just looking through their different options, and there's a lot of like horror aspects to it. There is sci-fi. There is gods and god, like the concept of gods and goddesses. What we're saying is, is, if you want to delve into this, there is like no shortage of options. I think it is a very well, I think for the most part, very well thought out. You know, not everything can be perfect, but people who have an interest in it and an interest in generally sci-fi or fantasy stories can dig into this and, and uh, be perfectly happy. I also think that as the game has increased in popularity, it's become more available. If you are interested in role-play games, or you have in the past, or you are interested in card games like card games like this, or just general like tabletop games in general, this is very uh, available to to people at a local game store. Game stores have they the website itself even has. Uh, options for where you would like to play. Do you want to play online? Would you like to play at a game store? They have places where people, where game stores or places have uh, what they call Friday Night Magic, where you meet with other people and play them. At the same time, this can be a uh, catch-22, not catch-22, but there can be another problem to this is because you don't know who you're playing against. And sometimes that can be fine. You make friends with like-minded individuals, and then other times people are assholes. Yeah, and I will say that is something not exclusive to magic, but no. if we want to dive into some of the 
not necessarily unsavory parts, but some of the parts that I'm not as much a fan of, the community can be somewhat insular. Part of that is magic is complicated. Like, there's a lot of moving parts. A game with 30 years of history means that there's just a lot of moving parts. There's also a lot of money. This is not a cheap game. No. If you are playing my preferred format, and we'll get to formats in a little bit, my preferred format is about $15 a pop. $15 to $30 to play for a couple hours, so it's not unreasonable. But if you're doing that every week, that starts to add up pretty quickly. It's definitely something that creates this weird tension where in some sectors of the community, you end up seeing this tension between I'm playing this game for fun and I am collecting these pieces and trying to make a profit or at least make my money back. And that creates these kind of perverse incentives in some cases where, oh, I want to play this expensive card but I don't want to play it because that'll ruin its value. There's a little, there's been a bit of a pushback in the past, I would say a couple months even, where that's been happening, but it is something to be aware of. Like magic doesn't have to be expensive, but the default way to play it tends to be fairly expensive. Yeah, I would say if you are in college, for example, and you're trying to save money or you're, work, or you're just beginning to get into it and you're not sure if you want this to become a hobby, that it can be overwhelming. And if you just happen to go get to play against an opponent just at random who is willing to put a lot of money into it, it is their preferred hobby, you could just get completely creamed. There are formats where that isn't necessarily the case, yeah. but it's definitely a problem, and there are certain formats where it's more of a problem. So I've mentioned formats a couple times, and I think now is the time we're going to dig right in and we're going to talk about all the different ways you can play Magic. So the quick version is that you can split it kind of into two different categories. There is Constructed, where you are showing up with a deck to play games, and then limited, where you are showing up with nothing. Constructed is a lot more sensitive to pay to win, is sort of the derogatory term for it. That's where you can see decks that are thousands of dollars. And yes, thousands of dollars is not unreasonable. It's expensive, but it's not that strange for some formats. The main constructed formats are standard, which is cards from the last two years, modern, which is cards from the last 10 years, and then legacy slash vintage. And I can never remember the difference, so people who know about magic, leave a comment. Uh, legacy and vintage is all cards from magic's history. There's also a more casual, and I hesitate to use the term casual, but a less competitive format called commander, or Elder Dragon Highlander was the really old name. And that has different deck building rules and tends to be multiplayer. So that's also a interesting way to dive right into it. Commander tends to be really, really complicated because rather than having one opponent, you usually have three opponents and you're playing with a 100 card deck rather than a 60 card deck. It just gets a lot more complicated. It, and we don't need to go into really much detail about where this is just a general idea of how the game works. 
like I said, you can talk about magic for a long, long time. And to go back to the idea of costs, one of the things that they offer is when you play online, in the beginning, it is free. Yeah, so on Magic Arena, it is a free-to-play game that you can spend money on to play. And but with like but like with any game especially now, if you want to improve your chances of winning, you probably will have to pay some money, but probably not as much as creating a $1000 deck, I would say. Is yeah. my idea for this to be a casual casual hobby you get to meet, you know, and if you're wanting to get out of this is meeting people, you know, it's something to work on if you like strategy games. Another thing to do casually. It doesn't have to be all that you focus on in terms of a pastime. Yeah, and you can also do what I've done and basically just build casual decks and play with a small group of friends. I actually highly, highly recommend that. I think that is the best way to play Magic, personally. I think that's where, it, as a game, it really thrives because... This can be something that if you have collected an amount of cards over time, you can pull out a deck, you can, and even if you play regularly with the same people, your deck is all, each of your decks is always going to have something different because again, it's a luck of the draw. So maybe it's a good, it's your good luck in the beginning doesn't necessarily hold out for the next time you play. There's a randomness to it and it can keep friendships together. And that is to say, you know, meeting people at a game night doesn't necessarily mean that you won't, every single one of them is going to look, is going to judge you for being new. Uh, A lot of people will probably enjoy that you're trying to learn the game because they want to play with someone. Yeah. If you find a good gaming community, it's like any good community. Keep working at it. Keep looking around. You find a good community, they're a great bunch of people to hang out with and spend time with. Yeah. That isn't always the case. So as with anything, a community is what people put in before you. And sometimes you can get really insular or really toxic communities. Some game stores are taking their efforts to not have that yeah. really seriously. Yeah, they... Not everyone, but enough of them that they're trying to change that perception. It's not there yet, but they're trying. Yeah, and it's a work in progress. It's also, for lack of a better word, not very diverse. Yes, um, it, that is a big problem. And they are, they being Wizards of the Coast and their game and game stores are trying to fix that, but it's not there yet. Not quite. I mean, whenever I do, whenever I'm interested in a new hobby, I will read about it and lurk in communities but never comment. It is, I can understand someone being nervous to go and meet people in person for the first time or go online because back to general rule number one, people are assholes from time to time. But I don't think if this shows it, if you have an interest in this at all, that that should stop you from trying it out. Having that similarity, that like same interest can form help, like nice relationships or people that you do this one thing with. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be means that you're best friends and you share everything. But as communities go, it's good to have that. 
It's nice to have a community where you have a shared touch point, but with magic, you tend to, you can see communities that only have that touch point, and that's where you start to get a little bit of the, it's almost a monoculture to kind of shift gears and talk about agriculture. Monocultures are really dangerous because when something goes wrong, the entire thing goes wrong. And magic is, in my opinion, slightly more susceptible to monocultures than other forms of media or other games. Because there's so much to it, you can wrap your entire personhood around magic. I don't think everyone does that, but it is something to be careful with. And that's not a magic-specific problem no, this at is, all. It is any t uh, hobby or story that has a deep lore to it or a fond co like connection to it in like terms of memories or nostalgia. That can become a monoculture. My slight favorite in terms of an example is Harry Potter. Yeah, I, I think Harry Potter gets sort of a different... It's a different flavor of monoculture. Well, almost. it's like people have Harry Potter themed weddings, for example. Yeah, but that's, I think that's a little bit different than. It's different. It's a different, it looks different than what happens in like trade, in like card game, in this, in tabletop games or lore based uh, hobbies, but it's that far off. Yeah, it, it's not dissimilar. Yeah. But kind of pulling it back toward magic, something that I did mention very briefly sort of in passing and that I do really want to talk about because I think this is one of the cleverest things that magic did at the beginning of the game is something called the color pie. So in magic, there are five different colors of mana. Mana is how you do stuff. There's white, blue, black, red, green. And yes, I did do that in a very specific order. Don't worry about it. Each color does different things and has different strengths and weaknesses. In universe, so in the universe of the card game, white magic is sort of order and control. They're going to win by doing, by getting lots of people to work together toward a common goal. Blue is all about knowledge. They're going to try to be the smartest person in the room and build their victory that way. Black is all about power. They will do whatever it takes to win. Red is all about emotions and kind of in the game aggression, but that's not really, that, that's more because magic is a game about fighting. So there's a little bit of a weird tension there. I think with red from what I've seen is it starts off small and then it slowly builds up over time. Kind of. I, I would generally agree with that. Yeah. That's, that's almost more on the gr that sort of red-green side of things. Yeah. Uh, like, red is all about speed. Red is, by turn five, you're either dead or I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's very much a, let's see how fast we can make this game go. Yeah. I mean, I don't have as big of a reference as you. I have a little reference from when I was a kid, and then I've mostly been listening to you about it because you are the one who like this is what you like this is my thing yes it is um the final thing the final color is green which is the color of nature and that's going to be i'm going to win by being the biggest thing around yeah and the thing with the color pie is it 
ends up being super useful and super interesting to see how different colors work together or don't work together in either the stories or in the cards themselves. Uh, different colors work better sort of with their allied colors, so the colors that are right next to them on the color pie. So kind of calling back to that order, that Wooburg order, Wooburg comes up a lot. White, blue, black, red, green. Blue goes by U because black goes with B, don't worry about it. Allied colors tend to, in theory, work together better than enemy colors, colors that aren't next to one another. I really like the color pie. I think it's super useful and super interesting to use it to analyze different characters and stories. It ends up being, in my opinion, more useful than the D&D alignment chart. Yeah. Because it ends up not saying, oh, this, this color is evil. It gives the, this color has this set of priorities. And that's really interesting to me. It creates this tapestry where you, have, you can have a white villain. They're all about control and order and putting things in the right place. A black hero is, I like this place because it's where I am. It's my stuff. Stop messing with it. Yeah, no, I under I get what you're saying with uh, the alignments. I think D and uh, D will alignments help a lot with setting up your character. The more you play it, the more you drift away from what what from certain alignments. And Magic is able to avoid that by going along with the idea that this is just a fight that's happening. This you are not necessarily the hero or the villain. You're the maybe in your head your character in their heads the characters are the heroes but that might not not be the morally correct choice if you take a step back from it yeah it, because it's not a role-playing game you end up kind of divorcing from some of the lore like there are cards that you play in lore that don't necessarily align with how you work but the stories of magic hmm. align with how the cards are set up yeah and that's also something nice about this is that you can read up on the lore and you can learn about the lore and they have put a lot of effort into the lore, but that doesn't necessarily transfer over to the game itself. It's connected, but they're also separate. And that can be two forms of entertainment uh, in different ways. They don't have to be included in both cases. You can completely ignore the lore of magic, and you'll still have a great time playing the game of magic. You can know nothing about the game of magic and read all the lore, and you'll still get at least interesting stories. Yeah. They're, they're not always amazing, but they are interesting. Like, yeah. there are a couple magic novels. I've never read them because I, I shy away from that sort of thing. You don't like fantasy. Yeah, the, and I think that's the other piece with magic, is it hits this weird note that is a different kind of fantasy than sort of the super traditional Tolkien low-ish fantasy. I'm never clear on the distinction between low and high fantasy. But it ends up hitting this really interesting note where because there are so many references from outside the game that get pulled in, it's not quite fantasy but it's definitely not science fiction and each plane feels very different they've done a really good job with that in the past 10 to 12 years where they've gone with okay how does this plane feel how does this plane work 
So the most recent set is Streets of New Capenna, which is Art Deco themed and that sort of 1920s gilded age, sort of that feel, except with angels and demons and cats and dogs and all of this different stuff. And how does that all impact this city? And how do all of these different people work together? Which is a very different feel from something like Ravnica, like I mentioned earlier, where that's a lot more locked into, here are the 10 groups that are all competing to try to control this city. It's really cool. I really like how the story can enhance the games, but doesn't have to. But the games themselves are super cool, and I could rattle on and prattle on for hours about it, but I'm going to not do that. And you don't have to get all that information from us, because like we said, if you go to the Magic the Gathering website, you can read all of the lore. You can, They'll point you in directions of their own information and where you can get that information to not only learn the game, but learn about strategies and how to play the game. There are pod, other podcasts that are focused solely on magic, whether it's conversational and just discussing, you know, art of the cards versus strategy. There are always ways that you can become a part of this community or a part of this game. And maybe at the moment, if you have an interest, but you don't want to put the cost in, you can still be a part of it and learn more about it. It's kind of like how I wouldn't say Dungeons and Dragons has the biggest issue with cost, like the biggest cost you have to put in, in theory, is the books. For example, because like how we play, we literally just have a mat that you can draw on a dry erase board. And we all play on roll 20, which is free. So you can still have that and you can still listen to it and pick up on it um, without having to buy all the cards at once. I think one key thing that I'm going to just kind of put a quick note on is you can play Dungeons and Dragons in a magic setting. Like that's a thing that Wizards of the Coast, they make both magic and Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. That's a thing. You can also play magic in a D&D &D setting. They just released, I think, two sets recently that are set in Dungeons and Dragons world, like Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate. Is the one that is coming out as we are recording this podcast. But you can, they, there's a lot of cross-pollination and officially, not officially, but like the origin story of magic is Richard Garfield, the inventor of magic, wanted to create a game that you could play while waiting to play Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Like there's, they cross-pollinate really readily. Again, going to how dun with Dungeons and Dragons, there's a lot of uh, talk online about it that you can read. Uh, there are a lot of people that create uh, discussions via YouTube, or you can listen to people play actual campaigns. It's the same thing with magic. If you want to just see the different strategies, uh, you can totally do that without having to pay money. It's very easy to gain access to it, is I guess what I'm saying. Yeah, streaming playing magic is pretty common. It's around. I think more so than most other tabletop games. Mm -hmm. It's usually you're streaming either Arena or Magic Online, just because that's easier to do. Yeah. 
I mean, I used to watch my stepfather play the old, old, old video games. Oh, yeah. Computer games of magic. I don't recommend trying to I find would, that anymore. Don't find it. No, I, I got a special viewing because my stepfather had it um, and I would watch him play. But uh, And I only liked watching it because if he defeated the blue, bo- uh, blue, blue decks, the boss was, I thought, looked really cool. Yeah, I really like the art and magic, and I think it's worth talking about that, because as much as it has started to come together into a similar style, if you go, the further back you go, the more absolutely buck wild some of the magic is. Yeah. It's definitely... Some of the cards. The, the card magic, or the card art is wild. The older it is, the more hit or miss it is. Every once in a while, you'll get a piece of art that's a, hmm, that's, uh, that was a choice that was made. I do and re- now there's some just really cool stuff. I do remember as a kid wa- re- looking through the cards and seeing, you know, a guy getting flayed alive or getting eaten by some kind of, like, bacteria plague. And I was too young to yeah. see that art. There, There is some grisly art. They've toned that down they have a little because bit. My sisters ended up playing uh, for a bit because, you know, uh, it was always around our house. And by that point, they were not affected by it at all. But they're tr- but now they're trying to get people of, uh, you know, a younger generation into it. And you can't have that art. Or you can, but you're now trying to have the parents, maybe, it's... not too concerned about what they're looking at. The I think... Tonally, it is shifted to be a little bit lighter yeah. in card art. Not a lot. I think it's still aiming about PG-13. Yeah. But PG-13 in the 80s versus PG-13 mm-hmm. now is different because yeah. societal standards are changing. Yeah, I Making mean... no judgment either way. But for art that I really like, look up Gift of Orzova. I'm mispronouncing that. But it's this beautiful picture of... Somebody like jumping off of a building with stained glass wings. It is gorgeous art. Like genuinely a piece of art that if I had my druthers and had a good spot to hang it, because I don't, I would hang that somewhere in there and just have it out. And I think it's just a beautiful piece of art, even removing it entirely from the game. Yeah, and I mean, credit to where credit is due in putting that effort and not only for the artists, but the company themselves in taking the time to make this because it's a card game. You don't, and people looking at it from the outside might be like, why would you put that much effort into a card game? But if you are interested in, if you get interested and you want to look at it more, I would say pulls you in. And it's very appreciated that they care about who is, like care about having that appeal and want people to continue to see the art. And I would actually jump in and say, like, it's underappreciated how much the art impacts gameplay. Like, genuinely, if you have art that doesn't match what the card does, it trips people up. People are very good at taking shortcuts to make things easier. One of the running jokes in more recent sets is that card has reach. Reach is an ability that shows up on some cards and it changes how the card is played. But there are several cards that don't necessarily look like they have that ability. 
Uh, the other common one is flying. It's really easy to make a card look like it has flying and it doesn't. If a card has flying, it's much stronger than if it doesn't. So having that good art or having clear, concise, and readable art is really important. Same deal with naming. And that's also something that I love. Because each card name needs to be unique, you end up seeing a lot of cards that end up having a very specific, like, kind of weird wording, and they're great with building vocabulary. <laughs> because when they first made this game, they weren't really expecting it to necessarily be around in five years. They weren't sure if it was going to last that long. So every once in a while, you'll see something that's like, all right, we need to create a card that looks like an angry mob, but it can't be called angry mob because we already have that card. Figure it out. It's really cool. Yeah, it is. In, it's very creative. It also lets the player have their own create, use their own creativity, and that is important in a game. In that, in, it's kind of like almost in the simplicity of chess being completely about strategy, but but you don't really have room to grow from there. Like, if I had to sort of sum it up and kind of bring us to a concluding point. Mm. Magic is similar to chess, only you get to choose all the pieces in gameplay. But it's also similar to a shared universe where somebody is writing it, but it's like a dozen different authors and everything kind of fits together. It is a lovely game. I really enjoy it. I want to see more people playing it because it's cool and it's fun. And I love having a game that has 30 years of history behind it still growing like you can have two three generations of people playing this same game and that's really really neat yeah if you're looking for more discussions on magic i highly recommend a podcast called tap tap concede created by loading ready run good luck high five i'll have to double check what that one is we'll put it in the description we'll put it in the description uh hipsters of the coast if you want to talk more about uh magic as sort of a game and the story and kind of how game design all works together, which we didn't really talk about, but Magic is really well designed. MTG Goldfish, which is all about like gameplay strategy. Again, you could read for years about Magic and only sort of get to reasonably good. Somebody has literally written a book about a single card, and that's not hyperbole. There is an entire book about how to best use a single card. And that's not to, you know, if someone is if someone has just learned about it today, that's not meant to overwhelm. It is something that you can still join in and just and learn as you go. Yeah. That is a book written by professionals because there is a professional scene and I that's beyond the scope of this podcast. Yeah, the professional scene and how it's moved and how magic has moved on from there is something that if you do have an interest in it, well, you will have to look into on your own. We don't move. We are not able to talk for two hours. God, I just, I really, really like magic. And I'm hoping that you guys, all of you who are listening to this out there, get a chance to find somebody who is willing to teach you how to play, walk you through it, find the right group of people to at least give it a try. It is not for everyone. And I fully understand people being like, yeah, this is way too much. Yeah, that I agree. It can be a lot. 
But if this sounds interesting, find your friendly local game store, go give it a try. I think you will be pleasantly surprised, yeah. and I hope you all enjoy. Yeah. I think we are wrapping up. Yes. So, the takeaway. Go play Magic. It's a fun game. <laughs> Goodbye. 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 <laughs>